You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. Good morning, New Life. We continue our series today on uh, hard questions about God and faith. We are using a book called Can I Ask That? And our topic today is why is it so awkward to talk about Jesus with my friends? See, when it comes to sharing our faith, many of us have some anxiety about doing so. The idea that we have to talk to somebody about our faith sometimes is nerve-wracking. And many of us want to, but fear usually keeps us from doing it. And here are some of the fears that we commonly experience when we share our faith. For example, we would say, oh, I'm afraid I might do more harm than good. Or I don't know what to say. Or somebody would say, I'm not able to have all the answers. That's why I don't share. Or I might invade someone else's privacy. I'm afraid I might fail. But perhaps the most common fear, however, is that of being rejected. On a survey that was recently asked, what is your greatest hindrance in witnessing? Do you know that 51% said it was the fear of how the other person would react? And I was browsing through current surveys. I I was surprised. Do you know that only about, I'm say, I would say 94% of Christians don't share their faith to others. That is a staggering percentage. Matthew 28, 18, 20 says, Then Jesus came, could, would you read this with me? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Lord, minister us with your word today. Open our eyes, open our hearts, Lord, to things that... We haven't known before in Jesus' name. What we have just read today is what is commonly known as the Great Commission. It is the instruction of Jesus to, to, to spread his teachings to all the nations of the world. The question is, what keeps you or what keeps us from sharing the gospel? For many, the main answer to that question comes down to awkwardness. Awkwardness is defined as causing or feeling embarrassment or inconvenience. On many instances, whenever we do something, especially something for the first time, we feel awkward, right? I remember the first time I held a baby on my hands. I felt so awkward. I was so stiff. I felt like the baby is falling. We don't expect, for example, a a salesman to have a perfect pitch the first time he would make some calls for sales. Or a basketball coach doesn't expect his players to be better than LeBron James five minutes into their first 
practice. And let's be honest and admit, we all like or we all want to be liked. We all want to be respected. We all, we all want to be thoughtly, uh, thought of highly. We don't want to be unpopular. We like it when people praise us and make positive comments said about us. We like affirmation. And so when we realize that part of our Christian message might be offensive to a person or might be unpopular, we're tempted to just keep quiet and not say anything. Or we're tempted to water it down a little bit to avoid tough issues, just go along with the crowd. See, there's a lot of pressure in our culture not to take a stand about anything, not rock the boat. And these days, there's a, uh, there's a high level of tolerance, the tolerance of accepting whatever people want to believe. A lot of people in our society don't want to offend anyone and whatever our particular beliefs, we are all on equally valid spiritual journeys. For example, it doesn't matter there are people, it doesn't matter the name if you call God Krishna or Buddha or Allah or Jesus or just a high power. It doesn't really matter to them. They are, they're all valid paths to God. And you certainly wouldn't want to take a stand and say that one is right and the others lead nowhere. That just wouldn't be respectful and tolerant. But while awkwardness can be a positive thing, in the midst of great danger, awkwardness is foolish. If someone, for example, is in a car, in a car accident, and needed help on the side of the road, we would run and go for help, right? You don't have to, like, you're not going to be the one to put your makeup or lipstick first and go run and help that person. Because you can see... That's very important to help that person at that particular time, right at that moment. It doesn't matter what you look like when you are rescuing someone. In the same way, when we have a person who insists on going to hell, there is no room for concern about how we appear. We must share them the eternal truths that rescued us and can rescue them. The sad thing is there's a lot of limitations nowadays in the workplace, even in schools, wherever you go. There's such thing as what they call politically correct. You have to watch what you say around people. Uh, my wife in particular is going through this almost every day. She would have to ask permission from parents just to be able to share the word Anything that is, anybody that's under the age of, what, 13? Parents must be there. And as I said, there's many reasons why we feel awkward talking about Jesus, and here's some of them. First one is we fear, we have a fear of rejection. We think that, that the outcome of witnessing is actually up to us. And certainly we play a part. But remember, ultimately it's up to God. We plant the seed and we give water to the seed every time we witness. 
First Corinthians 3 says that it is ultimately up to God to give it growth. We are afraid of what people will think of us when we talk about God. We are afraid of how people will treat us once we mention God. Fear of being labeled over-religious or overzealous. Fear of failure. Fear of saying the wrong thing and making God look bad. Fear of saying something spiritually stupid and making ourselves look bad. I remember the time when I was working for a company and I have an employer that we have a very wide age gap. He was about, there's about a 45, 50 year old gap between us. And he knew I was a believer. I was not a pastor. I was just active in church. But in the very beginning, it was very awkward for me to share the word of God. I felt very Awkward because of, of the status that he's got in life and his age. But then it just came to the point that this guy is going to go sometime. I have to do something and share the word to him. So I may not or you may not be the one to bring that person to the Lord. But it is our responsibility to plant seeds in the heart of those people around us. The second thing. Why we feel awkward talking about Jesus, we don't trust God to be powerful enough to use us. Do you believe that God can actually use you to make an eternal difference in someone else's life? God's word says that we are partners with him in redeeming and restoring this world. Number three is we don't do it often enough. If you think about it now, you don't have to say a word, but self-examination where you're at, when was the last time you shared your faith to somebody? So many of us are consuming a world, in our world, of Christian friends and church activities that we operate in a Christian bubble. We never leave that bubble and we don't present ourselves with opportunities to share the gospel with non-believers. And I'm guilty of that as well. If we're to consume in our own Christian bubbles, then how are the unbelievers in our community ever going to hear the good news that Jesus died for them and wants to have a personal relationship with them? That's up to us. One of the worst things Christians can do is to spend time and build friendships only with other Christians. We need to be intentional about teaching or reaching out and building friendships with those who don't know Christ. Number four, we are the same as everyone else. So if we talk about God, we will appear to be a judgmental hypocrite. This is huge today. How can we tell someone that faith in Christ will change their life when our life is just the same as everyone else. Number five, we don't know God well enough to talk about Him. If you don't know the subject of the conversation, then of course you will feel awkward. If you were to lead a class presentation on a subject or topic that you don't know nothing about, it would be extremely awkward. 
But if you've planned, you've studied, you've rehearsed, you've prepared well for it, you may actually look forward to the presentation. And the same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. If we don't know Him, how can we share Him? You can get to know Him at a deeper level by reading the Scripture and being a part of a small group, a Bible study group. And most of us have never sat down and wrote out our testimony. You see, in, in New Life, we have, this, we have several discipleship classes that we do. One of them is flow. It teaches you how to write your testimony in a very short, uh, a short part so that you can share it with others. We, would, we will give you the tools and equip you. Most of us have never put a great deal of thought on how to explain faith, to describe Jesus and share verbally with someone the difference that God makes in our lives. Some of which we don't have answers. Answer questions about moral issues or, or in our, uh, uh, even stuff with our own personal lives. We are not prepared and lose out on a conversation about faith with our friends. We are afraid of ending up on a debate. However, I believe there is one very good reason why we should feel awkward talking about God. The message we have is very different. It is so unique and it takes time to explain it. God's grace isn't a concept that is easily understood, so it doesn't always make sense. Though it's an amazing message, it's also a very awkward message. Grace. I heard Alma a while ago. She had an acronym for SMART, where I have an acronym for GRACE. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's an incredible gift, but it's not how the world works. In school, we are awarded grades, for example, based on our performance. At work, we receive promotions based on performance. In sports, you win based on your performance. But salvation is not based on our performance. It is given to us freely by grace through the faith in Christ. So even if we feel awkward when we talk about God, God still asks us to do it. And He says in Matthew 6, 10, 11, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. In other words, you are blessed when others reject you. When others laugh at you, when others mock at you and even hate you because you speak the gospel of Christ. We have a unique message that's not easy to explain to a world that is works-based. And so, it should be a little bit awkward. But the great message about our God is that He did not come to make us feel comfortable. Rather, He came, on John 10, 10, He says, He came to give us abundant life. When we go out on the line to risk our reputation, our popularity, our friendships, our security, our comfort, 
we make the message of His redemption a reality for the individuals He places in our lives today. That is why we are here. Many of you are here today because somebody led you to the Lord. We aren't promised that it won't be awkward. What we are promised is that God is always with us. He believes us in us enough to make us partners with Him in this changing world. Soul winning should be the focus of every believer. There should be no lack of urgency to reach others, and yet we live in a selfish, narcissistic, I-centered society. Someone once said, if we be really believe in the horror and pain of hell, then we would crawl across broken glass to tell one poor lost soul about Jesus, who is the only way to escape an eternity in an awful place called hell. The greatest concern of hell is soul winning. The greatest joy of heaven is soul winning. The greatest responsibility of Christians on earth beyond our relationship before God and our families is soul winning. In Luke chapter 16, there's a story, the story of a rich man in hell. And he had two concerns. Let's read part of that. It says, he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The first concern of this rich man here in the story is that maybe some way he may be relieved of his awful suffering in hell. And Abraham, of course, assured him that there was no way that he could ever be released. That tells us that once a man dies, his character is fixed forever. When a man dies, there is no second chance. There is no parole. There is no reprieve. There is no appeal. His character is fixed forever. And this man did not love God on earth. He did not love God in hell. He didn't repent on earth, and he, did, he could not repent in hell. As a man dies, so he remains for all eternity. And the second concern of this man here is he was concerned, overpowered, uh, it overpowered the first. Since I cannot get out, he said, then I want you to make sure that somebody wins my five brothers so that they could, don't come here in hell. This man loved his five brothers on earth and he still loved them in hell. Some have foolishly made the statement, and, and I hear this a lot. Oh, if I go to hell, I will have a lot of company there. I'll have a party. The truth is that people in hell don't want any more company. They don't want anybody else to come, especially members of their own family. So he said, I want you to do something 
to see that five that my five brothers get saved so that they don't come where I am. What kind of place is hell if the people who are there don't want to see anyone else come to that terrible place? So we must conclude that the greatest concern of hell is for Christians on earth to win sinners so that they don't go to that terrible place. And the greatest concern of hell is soul winning. So why is it that he now has such an interest in his brother's salvation when he didn't have that concern when he was on earth? It is obvious he now is finally convinced that there is a judgment to face. He now knows from personal experience that there is a burning hell for men to spend eternity in. I don't know how well you're doing right now. Maybe you're doing so well, but in a snap of a finger, as I said, things can change. That knowledge made him want to see his brother saved above everything else. Obviously, he did not truly believe that there was a judgment to face when he was on earth or he would have been concerned about his brother's salvation on earth. So I have a question to ask you now. Why is it that the majority of Christians, especially in the U.S. here, are not interested in winning people to Jesus Christ on a personal basis? The answer has to be that we have reached the time when we are no longer really convinced that there is a judgment to face in a place where people will spend eternity in hell. We know it is a doctrine. We accept it in theory. We say we believe it because the articles of faith teaches us that we're supposed to believe it. That's what, what we're going to be teaching in the member class later. But in reality, if I believe that a man is going to spend eternity in a burning hell, I cannot meet him day after day and not do anything to try to keep him from going to hell. If every Christian go to hell for just five minutes and just come back, we would evangelize the world in five months because then we would be convinced that there is a judgment and a place called hell. There has been a shift. We are more concerned about the present than we are about eternity. We tell people how to live on earth today instead of how to live for eternity. We are more concerned about getting people to see what God can do for them now than what He can do for them in eternity. And don't misunderstand me. God is interested in His people today. God doesn't want you to make, He wants you to make it through day after day. But God is far more interested where you are going to live in eternity. And the main interest of Scripture is not on today, but eternity. And the Bible, as a matter of fact, says 10 times as much about hell as it does about heaven. 
There's a reason for that. Because God wants us to keep us reminded that there is a burning hell and that we will be soul winners if we are convinced of it. Until you are convinced that men are lost and going to hell, you will never be a soul winner. In order for us to appreciate the good news, we have to know the bad news. Many people do not even understand how terminally ill and spiritually uh, ill uh, and, and the internal consequences that they're facing. There's complacency nowadays and are not concerned about eternity because they sing that song, the sun will come out tomorrow. What if the sun doesn't come out tomorrow? I was at the doctor this week after almost two years or so. I finally had time to see my doctor. See, we've heard people before who have been terminally ill, for example. When a doctor would give you the news, let's say, Mr. So-and-so, I'm sorry to tell you, you have cancer, and that cancer has spread to the bones, And you only have so much, so many days to live. And that is a very tragic news to receive from a doctor, isn't it? Whenever you're faced in a circumstances like that, you know it's life and death. And so if the doctor has 10 minutes to tell you about that news, he will spend nine minutes explaining to you the condition, how serious your condition is. And then maybe for that last one minute, finally, he'll tell you, but there is a treatment and it's guaranteed success. What do you think that person would do when he hears about that treatment? He would grab that opportunity for that treatment, isn't it? Now, it's the same thing with us. We are so complacent, we have to make known the spiritual condition of man, that they are terminally, spiritually ill and dying. And that there, we have, you see, the, the thing about what we do nowadays is we're so much on grace, and there's nothing wrong about grace. We tell them, oh, God loves you. You know, we, if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know, he'll, he'll take care of you. We, we tell all these good things. That's all well and good. But people have to know the bad news. Their spiritual condition, for them to understand the seriousness of what they're facing and where they're going to end up in eternity. This is something that another reason why we feel so awkward sharing this to our friends. We don't know how to start up a conversation. The thing is, we just have to keep doing it. And the Holy Spirit is going to give you the cue on how you're going to open that. For example, today, we are all familiar with the Ten Commandments. Most of you are, right? Now, I have broken all of them. And 
I'm going to ask you each one question so you know where you are as with regards to your spiritual condition. See, these commandments, they reflect the truth back to people. It's like a mirror. It reflects the truth back to the people about their need for a Savior. Why we need a Savior? Most of you, if I will ask you probably, say, do you consider yourself a good person? Most of you would probably say, yeah, I think I am. But being a good person isn't enough. It's not enough to bring you to heaven. It's not enough to bring you to where you're supposed to end up in eternity with the Lord. See, as I said, these Ten Commandments, for example, very simple. He made this law so that we can see for ourselves where we lack, why we need a Savior. Have you ever lied before in your life? You don't have to answer me. Whether it's a small lie or a big lie. I have. Have you ever disrespected your parents before? Did not disobey them, something that they said and you did not obey them? Have you ever murdered? I don't think you murdered an actual person, but you see the Bible says that if you ha hated your brother and sister, that is actually considered murder. Have you hated somebody in your life so bad? Have you ever committed adultery? Like, adultery doesn't have to be having it with an opposite sex. It's just having lustful thoughts. It's already adultery. What kind of reading materials do you have at home? What kind of movies do you watch at home? Have you ever stolen anything of value? Whether it's a pen or a coin or a cookie that does not belong to you? Have you ever coveted, desired something that does not belong to you? And I don't need to go any further. That in itself would prove that all of us are sinners. And what the Bible says about sinners is sin, the penalty is death. And the only way that we can get out of that, there's only one solution, is to have Jesus in our lives. I know we have different kinds of people that God have brought across in our lives. Some of them are bosses. Some of them are close friends. Some of them are our peers at work. But it's all the same. God placed us there for a very good reason because we are the only ones who can reach out to them there is nobody yet who died of awkwardness as far as I know now shall we all stand as we conclude today Beyond your responsibilities, worship team, would you come? Beyond your responsibilities as a father or a mother or your family, there is no duty that looms over for you so heavily from God as the duty of winning the lost. For Jesus, for whom our Savior died, Jesus came into the world for one reason, 
to save the sinners. Many times people will come and say, Pastor, oh, uh, I want you to go to our, our place. I want you to, to, to talk to my, to my brother or my sister or so-and-so because God impressed upon my heart that, you know, we need to share Jesus. If that happens, you are actually the one who needs to talk to that person because God impressed that in your heart. If you can't win your close friends and family, then how can you win people you don't even know? Maybe in your pockets, in your wallets right now, you have pictures of people. I don't know who they are, but maybe some of those people are unbelievers. Imagine this. And we've been saying this before. If only we invite one person this week, our numbers will double next week. Just one person. But we haven't done that. We are looking at empty pews because we are relying so much on the pulpit. But there are people that you and you alone can bring to the Lord. That is why that great commission is not just for pastors. It is for every believer. My hope today is that we will be awakened. That complacency that we have in our hearts. Think of a friend. Just on Facebook alone, my goodness, you have a lot of friends on Facebook, right? You see all those faces of your friends. And there are many unbelievers there. If you pray just for one person, love that person, care for that person, I think there will be one soul that the, the heavens will rejoice. You see, the scripture says, for one soul, the heaven rejoices. I believe in healing. I've witnessed healing. But the Bible doesn't say the heaven rejoices when somebody gets healed. The heaven rejoices when one soul, just one soul, comes to the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.